Let's go ahead and pray before we get started. Numbers 31. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here this morning, and I pray that you would help us as we look into your word now. Father, I pray that your will would be done here in this place. Father, that you would help us to view our sin as you view it. Father, that we would overcome these things, and Father, that your will would be done each and every single day in our lives. Father, we thank you so much for dying on the cross for our sins. Father, we knew what debt needed to be paid, and Father, you paid that debt for us. Thank you so much. We love you for it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Numbers chapter 31. I want to give you a word, and when I give you this word, I want you to think about some things, all right? So I'm going to give you the word. Here it is, sin. Three-letter word, sin. Okay? When you think about sin, what do you think about? Okay, what are some adjectives that you think about that would describe sin? Number one for me, I'm going to ask you guys to pull that up. Black is one I think of. Dark, dirty, disgusting, vile sin, wrong, it's wrong, it's wicked. And I'm sure you could fill in many, many more. But do you see any of these words that are exciting? (laughs) No, I don't think so. Any of these words that are attracting, are wonderful. No, we, we don't describe sin as any of those things. None of them are cheerful. None of them are attractive. Yet, every single one of us, every single day, struggles with sin. Every single one of us. We're attracted to sin. For some unknown reason, because none of these things are attractive, none of these things are exciting, none of these things are cheerful, yet we're drawn to sin for some reason. We keep going back to it. The book of Hebrews uh, talks about a sin that so easily besets us. Something that is just so easy, we keep going back to it, and back to it, and back to it, and back to it. We go back to it time and time again. I heard a thought this week, and I thought it fit, and I've adapted it just a little bit. But sin is so powerful. Sin is so overwhelming sometimes, and we continue to go back to it for one reason, and I believe it's this. Because we love our sin more than we love God. We love our sin more than we love God. You say, oh, Pastor Yeomans, no, 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 no. I do not love my sin. In fact, I think it's wicked. I think it's vile. I think it's wrong. Yet, I just can't seem to stop going back to it. Can I challenge you to think about this? I believe it's because you love it. You may, you may look at it. You may think it's gross. You may think it's vile. You may think it's disgusting. But you love it. That's why you keep going back to it. Just like most of us love certain fast food restaurants. Hear me, they're not good for you. Most of them are gross, vile, disgusting, yet we go back to it over and over and over again. For some reason, we hit the worst of them all all the time, McDonald's. It's terrible. Yet this is, and I'm not trying to say McDonald's is sin, I would never say that. 
But what I'm trying to say is we know things are bad for us. We know things are not right. We know things are wicked and vile and all these things, but yet we go back to it because there's something about it that we love. We love our sin more than we love God. And this is the exact position that the Israelites find themselves in. Again, recall with me that the children of Israel are on the brink of entering the promised land. They are so close. They're right there. They're right at the Jordan River. They're looking into the promised land. And God is continuing to deal with them. There are still things in their lives that they need taken care of. There are still things in their lives that they need to work toward. And can I challenge you, all of us are in that same position as well. Every single one of us has something to work on. Every single one of us is not as close to God as we should be. We're not as right with God as we should be. There are things that we need to work on every single day. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how many years you've been saved. It doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is the children of Israel had things they had to be pursuing, and God was still pointing them out. So we find, and we pick up the story here in Numbers chapter 31. The Bible says in verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Avenge the children of Israel, of the Midianites. Afterwards shalt thou be gathered unto thy people. So again, Moses is preparing to die. Verse 3, And Moses spake unto the people, saying, Arm some of yourselves unto the war, and let them go against the Midianites, and avenge the Lord of Midian. Of every tribe a thousand. Throughout all the tribes of Israel shall ye send to the war. So there were delivered out of the thousands of Israel a thousand of every tribe, 12,000 armed for war. And Moses sent them to the war, a thousand of every tribe, them and Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, to the war with the holy instruments and the trumpets to blow in his hand. And they warred against the Midianites, as the Lord commanded Moses, and they slew all the males, verse 8, and they slew the kings of Midian, besides the rest of them that were slain, namely Evi and Rechem and Zur and Hur and Reba, five kings of Midian. Watch this now. Balaam, also the son of Beor, they slew with the sword. The children of Israel took all the women of Midian captives and their little ones and took the spoil of all their cattle and all their flocks and all their goods. And they burnt all their cities wherein they dwelt and all their goodly castles with fire. And they took all the spoil and all the prey, both of men and of beasts, and they brought the captives and the prey and the spoil unto Moses and Eleazar the priest and unto the congregation of the children of Israel, unto the camp of the plains of Moab, which are by Jordan near Jericho. I'd like to preach to you a message I've simply entitled, Our Love of Sin. Our Love of Sin. See, Pastor Jones, what in the world does this have to do with this? What in the world does this chapter have to do with our love of sin? I mean, you understand here, right, that Israel just conquered a land. You understand that, right? That's, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about conquering through Christ. You understand that conquering is a good thing, right? What does this have to do with our sin? I want to draw your attention to the fact of the people in whom they were fighting. Midian. Midian. In fact, the children of Israel had committed whoredoms with the daughters of Midian. So this is the context in which we find ourselves. 
When you first look at this, it seems like a wonderful victory. They only take a thousand men from each tribe. I find that very interesting. Only 12,000 people to go into war and to fight and to conquer an entire nation. They do it with 12,000 people. It seems as if there was no effort made. Midian was burned to the ground. All the males were slain. They killed the kings. They burned every city. They utterly destroyed the Midianites so that there would be nothing left. God came through for them. They conquered through Christ. They did a wonderful thing. This is a wonderful victory. And this is why we look at this and say, hey, this is wonderful. This is great. This is awesome. We see God work again. But I stopped at verse 12 for a very specific reason. I want you to look at verse 13. And Moses and Eliezer, the priest, and all the princes of the congregation went forth to meet them without the camp. Typical. Normally what they did, they would go out and, and understand what went on and how did everything go. Verse 14, and Moses was what? Wroth. With the officers of the host and with the captains over thousands and captains over hundreds which came from the battle. Moses goes out and again, you must understand, this is a wonderful victory. They have done some amazing things. Only 12,000 men go in and conquer an entire nation. And Moses walks out and he meets them outside of the camp and he's ticked off. He's angry at them. He's so mad at them that word wrath is such a furious anger. He is right upset. Why was Moses so angry after such a wonderful victory? Notice again the details of the battle. Go back to verse 7. Notice again the details of the battle. The Bible says this, And they warred against the Midianites as the Lord commanded Moses, and they slew all the what? Males, good, stay with me, verse 8. And they slew the kings of Midian. Jump down to verse 9. And the children of Israel took what? All the... Women of Midian captives and their little ones and took the spoil of all their cattle and all their flocks and all their goods. You see, the children of Israel, obviously in a war, you kill anybody who can fight against you. You go in and you wipe all the men out. And they killed the kings because they were the ones who were in charge. That was how you took over a country was you were to kill the king. And so this is exactly what they do. It's as if there's no effort given at all. And God has done something great. But they save all the women and children. I want you to jump back down to verse 15. We read verse 14. It says Moses was wroth. Verse 15, and Moses said unto them, have ye saved all the women alive? Have ye saved all the women alive? And look what he says in verse 16. Behold, these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of pure. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. He says, listen, do you guys not remember these women 
These ladies, these are the ones that you committed whoredoms with. These are the ones that God judged us for. These are the ones that the plague came through. And and the the plague was only stayed because one person decided that they were going to do something about it. Don't you remember? Why are you bringing this sin back with you? Why did they save the women and children? Why did they save them? Why didn't they follow the command of God completely? Look there again in verse 1. Excuse me, verse 2. It says, avenge the children of Israel of the Midianites. Of the Midianites. Verse 3 at the end, and it says, and avenge the Lord of Midian. Listen, this was not just go conquer their land. It was get rid of them. They are causing you to commit sin. Get rid of it. Why didn't they? I'm sure you can guess. The problem is the same problem that we have. We love our sin. We love our sin. There are times in our lives when we have the opportunity to completely decimate our sin. We can get rid of it utterly and completely, but instead, we only get rid of it temporarily. We come to this altar maybe even, we lay our burdens down and we talk, to, talk about our sin to God and we say, God, I'm not going to deal with this anymore. And we leave this place and instead of getting rid of that thing that causes us sin, we just push it aside. We maybe just put it on a shelf somewhere. We just do something else with it. We don't get rid of it. We set it aside for a couple of days and then we're right back into it. If you will, to use a Bible term, we make provision for our flesh. We allow it to stay close. We allow it to stay near because we love our sin. And therefore, we allow opportunities to continue in that sin. We love our sin. And this is exactly what the children of Israel were doing. They were committing whoredoms with the daughters of Midian. And they weren't quite ready to give it up yet. And so they only got rid of part of their sin. They only just pushed it aside for a little bit. And I don't know what they were thinking. I don't understand why they just conquered all the males. I don't know. I don't know what the purpose is. But folks, we're just like them. Because every single day we commit sin over and a sin that so easily besets us because we love it. So I want to give you three reasons this morning. Why we love our sin more than God. And as we go into this, I want to preface it with this. These are not ammunition to use for why you get to keep your sin. This is ammunition that you can use to guard against your sin. If you understand how Satan is going to attack you, you can know better how to avoid that attack. If you know how the enemy is going to come in and which way they're going to come in, you can better ward off that attack. And this is exactly what I want you to do with these three things is I want you to realize what's going on. I want you to understand how sin works so you can better avoid it. Number one, I want to give you three statements, three reasons why. Number one, sin is instantly gratifying. 
Sin is instantly gratifying. Look with me in verse 31, or chapter 31 and verse 9. And the children of Israel took all the women of Midian captives and their little ones and took the spoil of all their cattle and all their flocks and all their goods. Jump down to verse 11. And they took all the spoil and all the prey, both of men and of beasts. See, these women were part of the spoil of war. I want you to think with me, if you would, about spoil. What, what is spoil in the context of war? The context of war is when you go in and you decimate a country, you get to take all of their resources. You get to take everything of theirs that they own and it becomes yours. These people may have worked hard. They may have spent a lot of time building up these resources. And you come in and you wipe them out all of a sudden. And you immediately, instantly gain those resources. And these women were a part of the spoil of war. There was very little work involved in getting this. In fact, we find out later that the entire nation of Israel gets part of the spoil. Not just the 12,000 that go to war. So you say, well, they had to war for it. Not all of them. Only 12,000 of them did. And so sin is instantly gratifying. You don't have to work hard for it. You just get it. You just uh, almost inherit it. You just gain that instant gratification. They could instantly gratify themselves. They didn't have to wait. They didn't have to put the work into the relationship that they normally would. Again, I don't want to get into too much detail here. But when you conquer this and you do this and you gain those women, you don't have to wait to build a relationship to marry somebody. They're your property. They're yours. And so it's instantly gratifying. This is the exact problem with our sin. Let me give you a few instances. Lying. Lying is instantly gratifying. You know why? Because we don't have to work. We don't have to own up to our mistakes. We don't have to make them better. It's, it's instantly gratifying. Greed. Greed is instantly gratifying. We don't have to worry about anybody else. We just do what we want to do. We just take care of ourselves. We make ourselves feel better. That's greed. Stealing. Stealing is instantly gratifying. We don't have to wait till we have the money to buy it. We just take it. Instantly gratifying. Gossiping. Instantly gratifying. We don't have to worry about our problems because we are talking about other people's problems. We get to put ourselves on a pedestal while we put other people down. Gossiping is instantly gratifying. Pornography is instantly gratifying. We don't have to work on a relationship and wait for God's timing. We're instantly physically gratified. Fornication as well, instantly gratifying. We don't have to work on a proper relationship. We, again, are just concerned with satisfying ourselves. And the list could go on and on and on and on. Listen, all of sin is instantly gratifying. It instantly gratifies us. It makes us comfortable. It helps us. This is why sin is so easy to love. It's instantly gratifying. 
Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 24, the Bible says, By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Listen to this. He says, Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. I find this verse very interesting. Moses, the person that is leading this group of people, the person that understands what this is all going about, what is all going on, he understands what this is all about. He realizes, hey, back in Egypt, I chose to suffer. I chose the affliction. I chose the pain and the agony to be with God rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin in Egypt. And he's, I believe he's saying, that's why he's so angry. He understands what he did. Maybe he understood, I don't know. But here's what I believe. Sin is so gratifying and so easy to, to take. And it would have been so easy for Moses just to stay in the land of Egypt and enjoy the leeks and the garlic and the uh, prosperity and the fame and all of those things. And it would have been so easy to do that. Yet... He chose to suffer affliction. How many of you would choose affliction over or happiness? Anybody? Not one of us. Not one of us thinks like that. Not one of us goes, yeah, yeah, I think affliction's good. That's a good thing. Let's do that. We like the pleasure. We like the gratification. Psalm chapter 16 and verse 11 says this. Thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence is, listen now, fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. And at thy right hand there are pleasures, not for a season, but forevermore. I've said this before. I'll say it again probably till the day I die. We're not choosing between pleasure and pleasure or uh, in affliction. We're choosing between pleasure and pleasure. It's just how long do you want the pleasure? Moses says, I, I just didn't want the pleasure for a season. I, I may have put up with a little affliction here, but I'm going to have pleasures forevermore at thy right hand, at God's right hand. Listen, these sins, these things will give you amusement. These sins, these things will give you instant gratification, but they will never, 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 never give you fullness of joy. They will never give you pleasure forevermore. They will just give you pleasure for a season. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7, the Bible says this, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love. In whom, though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. See, what Peter's saying is, listen, you may not see your instant gratification when you serve God. But one day that, that reality is going to be seen. You're going to see God in all his glory. And one day you're going to realize that you can have joy, joy unspeakable. 
and full of glory. James chapter 1 and verse 15, the Bible says this, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Sin, though gratifying, sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth what? Death. You see, there are pleasures in sin. It's instantly gratifying. But when sin is finished, it's going to bring forth death. So you can go through what the Bible calls a little light affliction. So that you can have joy forevermore. Or you can love your sin more than you love God. It's instantly gratifying. Number two, we are emotionally attached to our sin. We are emotionally attached to our sin. Look at Numbers chapter 31 with me again. Verse 15. And Moses said unto them, Have ye saved all the women alive? Here's what I want you to get. Why did they save the women and the children? Let's face it. There are some things in the Bible I just don't understand. I just don't understand why God could allow his children to destroy men, women, and children. I'm emotional about that. I have an emotional attachment to men, women, and children. I would hate to see any of them suffer. And so, listen, based on purely pure emotion... None of us, I don't think there would be any of us in here that would be comfortable with slaying women and children. So we become emotionally attached to our sin. A website called successconsciousness.com talks about emotional attachment as this. Listen, emotional attachment means lack of freedom. Because you tie yourself to people, possessions, habits, and beliefs, and avoid change and anything new. If you lose, listen here, if you lose something to which you are emotionally attached, you feel bad and become what? Unhappy. You know what your happiness is tied to? Sin. Why? Because it's instantly gratifying. And so you, after a while, because it's so instantly gratifying, you may go, oh, gross, I can't believe I just did that. And you throw it away and you walk over here and then you think, oh, it's just so instantly gratifying. And you come back over here and you continue to do this and you begin to realize that your only happiness is in this. And when you lose this, you don't know how you're ever going to be happy again. You don't ever know how you're going to have that joy unspeakable and full of glory. You don't know how the joy of Christ can ever come into your heart because this is my joy. This sin is all I ever want and you become emotionally attached to it. There's something interesting to note about this battle though. Far before this battle happens, Israel was still emotionally attached to the daughters of Midian. If you'll turn back with me to Numbers 25. Verse 
You'll see in verse 1, And Israel abode in Shittim and began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And jump down to verse 6, it says that, Behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman. So these are the same group of people here. Now, jump down to verse 16. Everything is taken care of with this Midianitish woman. Somebody stays the, the plague. Verse 16, watch this. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, watch. Vex the Midianites and smite them. Why? For they vex you with their wiles. Wherewith they have beguiled you in the matter of Peor and in the matter of Cosby and in the daughter of the prince of Midian, their sister, which was slain in the day of the plague for Peor's sake. Listen. They were commanded, not six chapters before, go take care of that sin. They were too emotionally attached. They they haven't done it yet. Go vex the Midianites and smite them. Why? Because they vex you. They've beguiled you. Your sin beguiles you. Your sin holds you here and says, you can't be happy without me. You can't be happy without me. You need me. You need me to feel fulfilled. You need me to feel whatever. Fill in the blank. That's what sin will do to you because it's instantly gratifying and you become emotionally attached to it. Hear me. We do not get rid of things that we are emotionally attached to. We don't do it. Let me give you a for instance, a good for instance. My grandfather passed away about three or four years ago. He was in the United States Coast Guard. Anytime in the military, in the U.S. military, when somebody dies, they receive an American flag folded up with any medals or anything in a box. I was over to my grandma's house a few months after that, and my brother and I were there, and we were talking just catching up and asking her how she was doing. And my grandmother is not emotionally attached to anything. And so she says, go ahead, go down in the basement and see if there's anything of Papa's that you want. And so my brother and I, we walked down. We shouldn't have done that. Because we were down there for hours looking at stuff, reminiscing, talking about things. We come back up. We begin to talk to my grandma a little bit more and and she walks over to the corner and she pulls out this box and she says, hey, do either of you want this? And she tilts it over like this and it's the American flag folded with any of his medals that he had. And I said, are you kidding me? She says, no, what am I going to do? It's just going to collect dust around here. Now, I tell, I'm telling you this. My grandmother loved my grandfather. But she's not emotionally attached to anything. It's incredible. And so I said, absolutely, I want that. She said, well, hang on. Your aunt might want it. I'm like, oh, oh. She's, I'm like, all right, well, let me know. I, I didn't receive that. Apparently my aunt wanted it. But let me tell you something, I'd have never gotten rid of that, ever. Because I'm emotionally attached to that. That's who my grandpa was. I have a fishing rod of my grandpa's. I have a shotgun of my grandpa's. I will never get rid of it. Never. I don't care if it's broken. I'm emotionally attached. Listen, we don't get rid of things we're emotionally attached to. 
and our sin's no different. We get emotionally attached to our sin because we don't know where happiness lies outside of it. We cling to it. We love it more than we love God. Number three and finally, we have selective memory about our sin. Selective memory. Go back to chapter 31. I'll be finished here shortly. Numbers 31 and verse 16. Moses again wroth at them. Have you saved all the women alive? Verse 15. Verse 16. Behold, these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of pure. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. If you were reading this the same way I'm reading it, he's going... Don't you remember? These women are the ones who caused the plague. They're the ones who you committed whoredoms with. Don't you remember? You see, we have selective memory about our sin. We remember what we want to remember. Oh, Pastor Jones, I can never forget the bad that that hurt, the hurt that it caused. And really? These guys didn't. These guys didn't remember the plague that I believe 20 some odd thousand people died from. Died from. Not just emotionally got hurt or whatever. I'm talking about people died from this plague from these women. <sighs> Selective memory. Listen, we get over here and we think, oh man, that's terrible. That's horrible. And we think about all the bad things right here, right now. We walk away from it. And then all of a sudden, Satan, listen, Satan gets it in our mind. Hey, remember how fun that was? Remember how instantly gratifying that was? Remember all the good things that was? And before you know it, you're right smack dab into it. You know when the best time to start a diet is? You want to know the best time? When you're absolutely just stuffed yourself. It's the easiest time because you feel gross. You feel terrible. You're like waddling around. It's terrible. And you think, man, I'm not doing this to myself anymore. Tomorrow I'm starting a diet. Yeah. You know, you know why it doesn't happen? Because tomorrow you're hungry again. There's that longing and you don't, you don't remember the feeling that you just had. You, you think about right now, man, I'm hungry. Man, McDonald's. Sounds so good right now. The Big Mac. Oh. The double quarter pounder with cheese and it's dripping and grease. I just want one. You eat it again. And you go, ugh. Why do I keep doing this to myself? It's a funny example, but listen. Sin's the same way. We have selective memory about it. Selective memory. We only remember what we want to remember. We don't remember what the sin does to our spouse. We don't remember what the sin does to our children. We don't remember what the sin does to our parents. We don't remember what sin does to us. We just want to remember how much we like it. How much we love it. There's your three statements about sin. I never like to leave you with three statements about sin with no solution. So let me give you a solution. 
completely get rid of the problem. If you want to love God more than you love sin, completely get rid of the problem. Look at verse 17. The Bible says, now therefore kill every male among the little ones. And kill every woman that hath known man by lying with him. Verse 18, but all the women children that, uh, women children that have not known a man by lying with him, keep alive for yourselves. And I don't understand that. I don't understand verse 18. To be honest with you. For some reason, God allowed that. And you'll see later that they gave tribute to God in all things, including the people. Numbers, to actually jump down to verse 28, you can see that. Bible says, and levy a tribute unto the Lord of the men of war which went out to battle one soul of 500, both of the persons and of the beeves and of the asses and of the sheep, take it their half and give unto the Eliezer the priest and heave offering unto the Lord. See, listen, get rid of it and get your focus back on God. Get rid of it and then they had to levy a tribute. Get your focus back on God. Get rid of it. And get your focus back on God. And when I say get rid of it, I don't mean push it aside. They weren't to push it aside. They were to kill all the males and any women that had known man by lying with him. They were to get their eyes back on God. I want to finish with this verse. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 1, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, the Bible says this. Wherefore, seeing we, are, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, here it is, watch this phrase. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Lay it aside. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Here's the key. Watch this. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Here it is. This is key. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Why? Why should we keep our eyes on Christ? Why should we consider him? Why should we do it? Lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. The only way, listen, the only way you're going to stop loving sin more than God is if you start loving God more than your sin. You say, Pastor Jones, that's so simple. Yeah, it is. It's simple, but it's not easy. So my challenge for you today is simply this. Start looking at God. Look full in his wonderful face. I will say, I love this. The things of this earth will go strangely dim. Because it's Jesus who's conquered sin. If we want to get over this sin, if we want to defeat this sin, if we ever want to conquer through Christ, it has to be because we keep looking at Christ. You have a choice. You can love God and have eternal life 
with eternal joy or you can love your sin unto death. You can find temporary joy in sin or you can find endless joy in God. Don't settle for a cheap substitute. Don't settle for a cheap substitute.